I like that. You know, one of my heroes is the late Glenn Passy, uh, 62 national champion, NC2A Division One discus. When I first met him, May 21st, 1988, that's <laughs> when we first shook hands. I'd heard of him before, but he said, you know, I didn't lift like you guys, which I thought, I didn't, couldn't hear him at the time. He was told that you needed to have a clean and press, body weight clean and press, body weight snatch, and then uh, clean and jerk about 20 pounds more than you weighed. So he said, well, if that's all I need to be elite, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so in the fall, he would take as many workouts as it was take to clean and press, body weight, snatch, body weight, and clean and jerk 20 pounds. And then he would stop lifting. And he would test himself every so often. If it took him two workouts to get back to those numbers, it was two. Later, it was once a month. And I've told that to people. And their 100% reaction is this. That's stupid. That's crazy. He was the national champion, the discus, who weighed 178 pounds and threw as far as wow. I could get. So why aren't we listening to this guy? So his whole nervous system just threw the discus. His nervous system didn't have to learn the decline press, the French press, the trap bar deadlift, the you know throw in throw in the lift of the day. His his body knew the discus throw, and then this other stuff that made him strong. Caveat asterisk at the bottom of the page: He was raised on a milk farm. In the mm. summer, he did farmer walks all day and threw uh, hay bales up onto a loft. So his off-season training was smarter than just about everybody listening, including me. Because if you're doing farmer walks and throwing hay bales, 40-pound hay bales for a couple hours a day, you pretty much have covered your GPP. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest and you can strap these uniquely fusiform-shaped weights, they're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power. And it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10 meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body and ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next-level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. Something that I need to return to fairly regularly as a coach and even in my own training personal training as an athlete is returning to the simple things that I know work and to cut out or declutter the complexity and get back to a minimalistic approach to help me do that. Something I often do is get to the writings of great coaches like Dan John coaches who have been around for a long time and not only can tell you what's important and what's not, but they can also craft a story around it. And it's those stories that really help me to remember and to understand and just to become better at my craft. Dan John is basically a household name if you are in the sports performance industry. He's been a strength coach, a track coach, a master's track athlete, a best-selling author, and just all-around educator of having a better process in the art of training. Uh, last time on the show, uh, in episode 96, Dan went into a lot of concepts on the weight room, easy strength-oriented concepts. Uh, there was a great anecdote that I will always remember about him training uh, a girl to a high level of shot put proficiency in track and field using a rock. <laughs> uh, so nothing is ever ex an excuse. I, I, just, I, I love the stories and anecdotes that Dan gives. 
This podcast covers several topics, uh, some of which would include things like training elasticity and kettlebells and training robustness in athletes and, and the ability to give them multiple strategies to get the job done. But one of the overarching things that Dan discusses with us is really the art of relaxation. If you're a track and field coach or if you're coaching an athlete to throw a discus 200 feet, you can't just do that through maximal tension. There is a relaxation, there is a whipping action, there is timing. But that's not just the discus, that's many sports skills, a volleyball serve, swinging a baseball bat. All of these things require not just strength, but the art of coaching and teaching the athlete to be a fluid machine and not just use a raw tension as their only option. Dan covers this not only in coaching sports skills through his extensive experience as a track and field coach, but also things that you can do in the weight room to help athletes achieve a more optimal level of tension, to perceive their bodies better, and just to have a greater experience in the process of lifting. Really, teaching athletes to be fluid machines is not just a magic exercise here and there. It's kind of a lifestyle. And so hearing the stories and wisdom of Dan in the coaching medium, whether you're a track coach, a strength coach, a sport coach, an athlete, wherever you are on that spectrum, this podcast has so much wisdom and I always enjoy talking to Dan. These podcasts are always ones that I pick up so many things for myself personally, and I know you're going to love it. Let's get on to the show. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to ask you, uh, well, so you mentioned in, in the, the new version of Easy Strength and the things that you went back and you were looking at the old book, like, this is really good. Is that what you were talking about, like the quadrants and the lift today and the or conditioning, or is there other things that you were highlighting that you really, I'd be curious as to what you really thought shown out of that book that that maybe wasn't appreciated as much or, or yeah, what do you think in about quadrant that? one. Now that's little kids. Okay. I'm, I'm a big believer that when you work with little kids and that would be up to eight, about age 15 or so, as many sports and games as they can possibly play. They need to learn how to ride a bicycle. They need to learn how to swim. I, I would suggest they learn how to play chess and a few other things, but that, that age Herbert H E B E R T was this great, uh, about a hundred years ago, this, this guy, he, he saw a volcano go off. And he went in. He went in as a ship captain, and saved you know saved people. He picked up survivors, and while he was picking up survivors, he noticed certain things about the survivors. They could climb walls. They could swim. They you know they could run. They could sprint. And the people who didn't survive, boom, boom, boom. So he came up with this idea of exercise. You should know how to fight. You should know how to you know play tag, play hide and go seek. That's the section on quadrant one that I wrote. Well, then Pavel came in and had a whole list of strength exercises you should teach youth. I didn't appreciate that list. I didn't appreciate the plank, the goblet squat, that kind of thing. I didn't appreciate it enough at the time, the, the push-up, those kinds of things, hanging from a bar up to pull-ups. I didn't appreciate it enough. I, I think I was – sometimes, you know, you, you kind of dance down this little, you know, I want to – I just you know, and then – and I missed – there's a couple times in the book, in the book uh, our discussion on plyometrics. I think the chapter is called Plyometrics Demystified. And if you know my work, you know I'm not a huge fan of plyos at all. I mean, I just, you know, I still go back to the original research and it says you need to be a lot stronger before you start. I need to pause and make sure your listeners hear me. When I coach, uh, the, I coach the hands and feet, try to make them like mini trampolines, you know, uh, a lot of bounce to the hands and feet, the knees and ankles, like a BMX bicycle, you know, a lot, you need a lot of balance and then you need to be able to lean in. And if you lean in too far, you got to be able to pull it out. And that's why I love, you know, things like skating drills where you drive the ears way over to pull yourself on balance and get yourself back. Okay. The shoulders and the hips, uh, I use the old Chinese medicine term, the four knots, K-N-O-T, tight enough to stay on loose enough that you can string them. Okay. I see why plyos have value. My knock is that you got some chubby little kid who's, you know, eats McDonald's and mac and cheese seven times a day and he's doing bouncing exercises. Every second you keep a kid away from their event is my throwers never do plyos, but we out throw your throwers probably 10 to 20 to one or more, maybe a hundred to one in some cases. For every throw your guys take, mine will take 99. And I think that is going to make them throw farther than skipping A drill, B drill, whatever. 
butt kickers. Uh, butt kickers are uh, great. Butt kickers are great warm-up. Oh, I get it. High knees are great. But I'd much rather have my throwers going. And I, I like the way Pavel came around that. we, As in everything in track and field, you know. And the interesting thing about plyos, you know, the, the word was invented by Fred Wilt, the guy who used to do Track Technique magazine, long before you were born, my young, my <laughs> young friend. But Metcalf, no, Masdorf, Pat Masdorf. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was one of the last guys to break the, the high jump world record with the straddle. You know, he's the person who really brought plyometrics into America. And then the, the Europeans took it and then made it all fancy. We Americans have this love affair with dressed up fancy programs that look so good on a spreadsheet or that handout that you give your athletes. And it's all crap. You want your throwers to throw for snatch and power clean. Throw the discus, throw the shot, throw the hammer, whatever it is. Do that for eight years, get back to me. They'll be really, really good. Now, you're going to ask about what mesocycle will have to slap you across the face. Because until they're throwing over 200, 210, we don't need to worry about the, the small details. You know, was working, I went to Utah State, very proud of that. Oh, about a decade ago, their coach, a good friend of mine, he was our designated driver when I was in college, uh, Greg. Asked me to talk to some of the throwers, and I'm talking to him, and it's like, and I go, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, you don't seem strong. Well, and the guy argued with me, and he's going, "Well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to." And he had this the mezzo micro. Well, the kid threw 145 as a senior. Well, I threw 190 as a senior. I was stronger than him in every single lift. He was taller and longer than me. I threw 45 feet. Now, I don't know if you know about track and field, but in the throwing events. If you throw 45 feet farther than somebody else, write this down. That's a long ways, okay? Would not listen to me because what I was saying wasn't just wasn't sexy enough. And he never got that. But it was all, I mean, the number of silly exercises he did. It was ridiculous. He had pre, prehab, prehab exercises for injuries he hadn't yet gotten. <laughs> uh, all this stuff, he foam rolled for like 20 minutes you know that, during your foam rolling why don't you go power clean instead you know sorry that so that that chapter plyometrics demystified that is one that i go back and i look at and it's like yeah that was pretty good and we'll do a better job this time cool i'll have to go back and read that as well and i i do as i've gone along as a coach too i mean i used to be i mean if you look at someone who's the definition of someone who can do like the high crazy plyos i have been that as an athlete just I'm more, much more of a kangaroo than anything else. But I also have found that if I simplify it down, I'd rather just play a game of basketball and try to do dunks at the end for the most part than try to do. Because I've actually gotten in trouble as an athlete. And I think I never imposed on my athletes long enough to see them to see the negative of just too many plyos over a long period of time. So I get it. And these days, I try to have a lot more small, quicker ground contacts, just work the smaller end of it. But and I got... And I like what you said. I mean, I remember years ago, uh, one of our graduates at Utah State University, L.J. Sylvester, four-time Olympian, he was talking and he said, you know, if you're going to get in shape, roll out a basketball, let the guys play basketball, you know, play half court for half an hour. They'll run, they'll jump, they'll laugh, they'll work on, they'll get everything done. You got the ankle issue. Sure, I got that. But generally, they're going to get a workout in. My coach at Utah State, Ralph Mon, was a great believer in a game called handball. He thought handball was the perfect off-season training program because, you know, you moved and you had fun. And you and when you went out, you had to put your name on where, who won and who lost. So maybe you went and practiced. You know, I, I don't disagree with you. In my With my throwers, we do almost zero conditioning. But on Friday, we always play a game. We play a tag, tag American football, play soccer with those, you know, those big BOSU balls, those big – uh, the one Dwight Schrute is sitting on in the office. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is like the physio ball, like the giant physio balls. Giant physio. Yeah. Play soccer with those. Awesome. Yeah, get a soccer game with those. Do you know uh, Ultimate Frisbee? Oh, I used to have my track team play that religiously, and they revolted because I was so good. and that they, were, they liked Ultimate Football more, but yeah. Okay, so with my throwers, I give them a four-pound Dynamax ball. It's very important it's a Dynamax because it has to be a soft catch ball. Otherwise, fingers are going to be an issue because – there's a lot of blind passes and stuff. But you play same rules as ultimate, but with a four-pound ball and a four-pound, a big Dynamax ball, you know. 
And so you got these kids running up and down the field laughing the whole time. And then uh, what I notice when I do that is other kids watch the track team having a lot of fun and they say, coach, can I do this? Yes, yes, you can. And then they find out that these are the throwers. And then next week I have a couple more. I got two more kids. Bulk of the time, not going to be a talent. Sometimes state champion. You never know. Yeah, I look at I like what you said about periodization and the the kid who's trying everything. And in some ways, I was that kid because it's like I didn't have the talent that a lot of people did. So it's like, oh, what can I do to bridge that gap? And then you start to get ridiculous with it because you hope that this magic exercise and that magic exercise is going to give you bridge that gap. And sometimes, I mean, I think I I had some plyos and, and lifts that didn't really help, but at some point, it also just gets down to, well, just do the thing, and, and you have to just be a badass at the thing, and because if you get too far away from that, it's just it's just not going to happen for you. Right, and, and there are times, Joel, I think that over-conditioning gets rid of the snap, the stretch reflex. So you got the athlete who's got a bigger engine than mine, but when they throw the discus, they're doing a freaking incline fly. It's not a it's not a rubber band snap. It's not a bow and arrow. It's a uh, <laughs> and you can't uh, the discus very far. Funny thing is, it will feel like you're throwing far, but it won't go far because when you set things up in the discus shot, hammer, javelin, the jumps, I'd even say the hurdles for sure, probably the sprint world. When you set the body up in the right potion. Miracles happen. And that's when the effortless marks come from you. Most throwers I know have one of two kinds of stories. It's either the hangover story or the I was going to foul it, it felt so good story. I know at least two world records that were set when the person was so hungover they could barely move. <laughs> and I think part of the reason the hangover rule happens is because when you lo- when you have no expectations, you let things happen. And what the one thrower, so I'll remain nameless, said is that the warm-ups felt, felt kind of good. And then as he was getting ready, the, the, the meet director walked over and said, we got some big wins coming in. And when the wins came in, poof, new world record. Wow. And then the other one is the effortless throw. What's happened to me, I'll tell you my story. San Jose State, I throw the discus, and it just didn't feel like I did anything. And I was going to foul it until I heard this huge noise. And I realized they were talking, they were noising for me. And so I kept the throw and it was my lifetime best throw. But I was going to foul it because it didn't, was too easy, you know. Uh, But if you don't mind me taking this into life, when I talk to young people, they always have these elaborate plans for meeting the love of their life. Always these, you know, these high, I mean, this, well, after I get my doctorate in, you know, the French Renaissance cuisine, then I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to go to law school, become a doctor, you know, be an astronaut. And then I will do an active search on this girl that I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, five years later, how'd you guys meet? Uh, we met at a party. I was drunk. You know, it's, 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 life is very much effortless at, at its highest and it's, it's effortless. You know, I think the, the, when in life, when when things aren't a burden, very often it's the best. You know, like some of my funnest times in my life. Well, yeah, yeah last week uh, we had this blanket, and my grandson and granddaughter got out, and I took them across the the. They have a slick floor, and then I let it go, and I hammer throwed them, uh, hammer threw them into a carpeted area. And those guys, I could have done that 10,000 times. And it's, it, I got to say, uh, I don't want to get emotional, but it was like one of the greatest moments of my life. What were you doing? I put my grandkids on a blanket and I threw them. <laughs> there was no toys. There was no, there was no internet. There was no, yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons I think it's so good to be a track and field athlete. Sorry, folks, for throwing my sport in there, but you get that chance by yourself to discover yourself. I agree completely. And it's like, cause it's just, it's just you and the high jump rights, you and the discus. And I couldn't agree more. I, I really, I, I love this. Like, cause I think about 
Well, one, I've been thinking about just how children, what makes children move differently than adults? You could say all the, they don't have compensations and this and that and their energy systems, but they don't have expectations unless the parent's crazy, you know, but which like, again, probably often, often happens, but they, they don't have an expectation for the movement. And then I think about uh, like my own PR in high jump was Okay, and this is where I was crazy, is it was like I had this formula and it was like, okay, if I do this depth jump workout, four days later I'm money. Like I am good to go. Like I, I'm super compensated and I'm all right. And then I, I did a lot of my own stuff in college. I kind of worked with my coach when I wasn't annoying him about whatever I wanted to do in my training. It was this weird symbiosis, but uh, I did this I thought I was gonna jump on like, I don't know, Saturday. And then I did this depth jump workout on I guess it was Tuesday, and so here I am, and I, and I realized after I did it, I was like, oh, wait, you're jumping Friday. And so this is just me. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to jump very well because I did it three days and I don't have four days to recover. And I, I someone put my hair in like cornrows or something and it just was this mess. And I just, I remember that first like scissor jump over 5'8", I was like so far, like six, eight inches over it. I'm like, yeah, today's going to be a good day. I just had no expectations. I wasn't expecting to do anything. And, and then the next day, I didn't have a very good triple jump. I didn't have a very good javelin. It wasn't like I was, I don't, I don't know. It's I, so, and then my first and only dunk in a basketball game in high school, I missed seven dunks probably. I, I don't know. I should count them. Probably missed seven dunks because I would get the ball and I'd be going and I was like, oh, this is going to be it. And then just the forebrain takes over and just it's all, it's game over. And the only dunk I ever had, I remember I was doing warm ups. It was my senior year and I wasn't even jumping that high. And I kind of dismissed the idea of getting a dunk in this game. I was like, ah, I'll just, you know, just play good and play hard. And then I, I remember it was like right after halftime, I stole a pass. I did not remember a thing. Like everything just went blank. And then I'm hanging from the rim, like, and the crowd's going nuts. And that's all I remember. And it's almost like, I had to completely dismiss the idea that I was going to do it before my body just took over and said, okay, today's the day, Joel. You get to miss seven dunks, and this is your <laughs> – this is finally the breakthrough. See, I would ask our listeners to break that story down and then apply that to coaching and athletic performance because that is so true. I mean, half the time in my last book I talk about well, the event that cost me the world record in the weight pentathlon. It was a cheese sandwich. You know, I stepped into the ring. Do you mind a quick story? Oh, please. Yeah. Well, I had a great performance in the hammer and, and my shot was right on. And now I come to my strongest event, the discus. I step in the ring for my first throw. And this ring judge here says, what is that? And this ring judge says, it's a cheese sandwich. I didn't know we we're going to get cheese sandwiches. Yeah, they have them over there for the officials. And the two of them were talking about where to get food for these cheese sandwiches. And that got into my head. And my wife was watching. She said, I could tell something went wrong. And, uh, and, she, and I go, I sweared a little bit after the throw. And finally, on my third throw, I had to take a safe one because it was the worst two throws probably in my life. And the reason I bring up the story, and it ties into your story very well, is that the, the monkey brain, that's what I call the, that, that brain, part of my brain, the part that thinks is a monkey. You know, it wants quick rewards and it's stupid and it likes to it likes to interrupt every chance it gets and it destroys performance. That's why I'm such a big believer in meditation for athletes and myself, because you practice letting go. You know, in fact, one of my meditations, I use uh, two. I have oh, it's one is free called one moment meditation. It's an app. It's one minute. And the other one is something called brain.fm. That's a site. And in one of the uh, meditation tapes, uh, the woman, they always have British accents for some reason, uh, tells you that if, if a thought comes in, just look at it and let it go. And I thought, that's stupid. And then, of course, I heard uh, I don't know, something and, oh, let it go, you know. So it's the art of practicing letting go. I really think that true, a true meditation might be as good as those extra two, 200 meters you were talking about. Because, you know, practicing letting go and letting things happen, especially in track and field, because track and field is nothing but uh, bows and arrows. You know, when you high jump, you know, you, you turn various parts of your body into a bow and arrow. And ideally, if you synchronize it enough, you rocket ship over the bar. Uh, when you throw the javelin, and by the way, your jav lab on your site is phenomenal. You know, if, if you, in the javelin and the hammer especially, if the timing's right, 
the implement goes so much farther. The sum of the timing is right is so much better than the, the parts. It's weird, in fact. When you do it right, it it's like magic. It's scary. It's sadly you vertical jumpers don't get to enjoy that because you always know how high you're gonna go. But for the rest of us, man, it's just everybody has that story about my training was terrible. I had terrible lunch. I normally have two Twinkies. I only had one. Uh, my dog barked at me, and I had my lifetime best. What happened? Uh, I don't know. But that's when everything, that's when those thousand bows and arrows all shot you out of there. Yeah, the the throws, that was, I, I was like a kid in a candy shop when I started throwing javelin because I had been trying to dunk and, and jump high over bars my whole, like, my ever since I was like 11. And then I did 21, and I pick up this spear that doesn't weigh anything and I was pretty good at it and it's like you know that that joy you get from the instant improvement but I actually I ended up kind of blowing up my elbow a little bit two years in because I it's like trying just trying too hard just like too much too much effort just trying too hard to be good and then I had surgery and then back into my later 20s I was I started throwing meets again I just remember the most beautiful thing about that event, even more so than than high jumping, is I was a a meat guy. Like I I would throw like I would throw that thing like one fifty, one sixty five in practice, and then yeah. I'd go to the meet, and it was like something took over my body, and it's like I'm the passive observer here throwing one ninety or two hundred, and it's like what what is happening? I mean, I remember the the one of the last meets I threw, it was almost like I had so much of that X factor separation between my hips and my shoulders. I almost couldn't believe what was happening. I felt like my body was getting squeezed, squeezed like a towel. And I was like, what is taking over my body right now? This is just insane. But it's just like, it's almost like this beauty, this connection with this thing that's inside you that knows how to do it. And I, that was one of my favorite things about that event. I, I want to, I need to start throwing again. <laughs> that was lovely. And that's exactly it. And so for me, what you just said, is a foundational coaching point. So I need to get my throwers to a point that their effort, it, it, like playing a violin, you know, it has to be the right amount. And that's the, I think that's, that's the difficulty of, of being a, a, a coach. I think that's where things get difficult. And that's why I believe in such simple training programs. Um, lots of reps, um, Obviously, lots of throwing reps, but lots of lots of different ways of approaching the throw. Yeah, or the jumper. You know, we we play a lot more games. You know, we have that one day at Discus Camp where, if you're right-handed, you throw left-handed. If you're left-handed, you throw right-handed for the entire day. Starting at first thing in the morning, we go out and start doing our discus drills with the wrong hand. You know, we call it goofy-handed. I'm gonna have my discus. <clears throat> well, by the end of the day, we got the discus throwers doing. 360 and goes that's a full extra turn the discus and then throw the discus left-handed and of course at the end of the day my job is to say to him remember the beginning of the day you couldn't throw remember you couldn't throw do anything yeah well what happened and that's that's what i want i want that huh. what did usually it's you know they let it go and let it throw you know it's i, I love that kind of thing because we do all these weird little drills with sticks and stuff and small rings, big rings. And what we just keep trying to do is get the athlete to think about overcoming this drill versus think about trying to kill the implement. You know, but I, I love putting a bag behind the left foot of a right-handed discus thrower, a, a, a school bag, you know, a, a gym bag, and have them jump over it. And they freak out at first. But then they realize that they jump over it every single time. And that's all of a sudden you just see everything just kind of ease up and calm down. And I think that's our job is to make the complex simple. I'd like to take a break from the show to share with you a significant pendulum that has swung in my own personal training practice. So between my mid-20s and mid-30s, I was this veritable pre-workout fiend. I was in this place where I absolutely had to have a pre-workout before every training session. And after just seeing kind of the adrenal response flatline that that created, amongst other things, uh, at age 35, I've been sick of that that idea for a few years. I hadn't been taking pre-workouts for a few years. And I've been starting to get into more of uh, Logan Christopher's like mental training uh, hypnosis prior to training sessions. I love that so much, I started to get into the products of his company, Lost Empire Herbs. So the first herb formula that I got was the Phoenix formula. 
This is far different from that generic bottle of Jinko biloba that you might see at the drugstore. As Logan says, these are not your grandfather's herbs. This earthy and immaculately well-sourced compound, uh, my first dose of it, I felt this unique and subtle tingle through my whole body. And I instantly knew that I was onto something that was really going to change the way I looked at this portion of my training and well-being. Uh, within two weeks of using the Phoenix formula, honestly, my lifts had gone up 10 to 15 pounds, my big lifts. Fast forward a few more months, and at age 35, I had hit the highest vertical jump I had hit in really about the last four to five years. I know herbalism was a really big and important part of that, and it's a really big and important part of my life and well-being today. I love what Lost Empire Herbs is doing, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor of this show since I'm a user and believer in their products. And as we live in this increasingly chemical-filled world, they shine such a bright light on using the power of nature to help us become stronger and more resilient human beings. So if you want to get a hold of this herbal supplementation to boost your own performance, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, and you can see my own personal top recommended herbs that I use, including shiliagit resin, as you may have heard Grant Fowler talk about on a recent show, and then get 15% off that purchase. So again, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly, that's J-U-S-T-F-L-Y, and you can go ahead and see my top recommended herbs and get 15% off your purchase. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's one of those things where, well, what, I'll say with the expectations, one of the things I noticed as a track coach and then um, just as a strength coach for swim athletes for a while was it's like, especially in the weight room, athletes would get to this point where they would associate um, that they, they, maybe they started lifting and then within two or three years, they had gotten pretty strong and they were also swimming like a, a, a swim PR, like a good time. And then it's almost like this association that, well, I have to keep lifting more. I have to try harder to to get a better time. And it's like, rather than teaching people just to let go a little bit, like to trust their body is going to get it done. And it's like, to me, a lot of it is the body language that you see once they, they get up to the bar and things like that. If it's like this, like, like, like I have to, I must versus a lot of us, I think we throw our PRs and maybe you even said, wrote something about this back in the day where it's like, it's almost like, remember back when you, you first hit your, those PRs, you didn't even have a plan exactly. It was just fun. And it all came together and then later in life, you tried to really sequence it all out and you couldn't do it. And I think about what people's attitudes become when it's no longer a, a letting go almost or a surrendering to the process versus forcing it, like putting your thumb down, eh, 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 you know, like every time. And I've seen so much of that. And a lot of I felt like what I did was just trying to educate people that you don't have to force it, like just enjoy <laughs> the process and, and it's going to take care of itself and to let go a little bit. I like that. You know, one of my heroes is the late Glenn Passy, uh, 62 national champion, NC2A Division One discus. When I first met him, May 21st, 1988, that's when we first shook hands. I'd heard of him before, but he said, you know, I didn't lift like you guys, which I thought, I didn't, couldn't hear him at the time. He was told that you needed to have a clean and press, body weight clean and press, body weight snatch, and then uh, clean and jerk about 20 pounds more than you weighed. So he said, well, if that's all I need to be elite, well, that's what I'm going to do. And so in the fall, he would take as many workouts as it was take to clean and press, body weight, snatch, body weight, and clean and jerk 20 pounds. And then he would stop lifting. And he would test himself every so often. If it took him two workouts to get back to those numbers, it was two. Later, it was once a month. And I've told that to people. And 100% reaction is this. That's stupid. That's crazy. He was the national champion, the discus who weighed 178 pounds and threw as far as wow. I did. So why aren't we listening to this guy? So his whole nervous system just threw the discus. His nervous system didn't have to learn the decline press, the French press, the trap bar deadlift, the, you know, throw in, throw in the lift of the day. His body knew the discus throw and then this other stuff that made him strong. Caveat, asterisk at the bottom of the page, he was raised on a milk farm in the mm. summer. He did farmer walks all day and threw uh, hay bales up onto a loft. So his off-season training was smarter than just about everybody listening, including me. Because if you're doing farmer walks and throwing hay bales, 40-pound hay bales for a couple hours a day, you pretty much have covered your GPP. Yeah, it's a great same but different, right? But for the lit between, and we're not weightlifting doing like that work. It's probably like the ultimate off season for a strength based athlete, I'd imagine, on some level. So much smarter than crap I did. <laughs> I used to do that when I was um, in college. I was working my way through college in the summer, and I did uh, moving in the summer. And it's funny because I didn't, I didn't like, 
it took a while to click that that was really important, like carrying a box up and down the stairs, like carrying a box every way you could think of and different objects where you're working together with other people and you have a terrain to manage. It was more important training than I think I realized at the time, especially to take, you know, done with track. It's June. Okay. And now two, two, three months just doing this and not doing track and maybe playing basketball or disc golf with my friends. And that was a good off season. How tired were you the first couple of weeks? Uh, it was the first few days. I, I, I actually have a pretty good aerobic engine once I get going, but I think it was more the grip, like just being able to hold on to stuff. That's what it took a while to get that going up to speed and, and being able to do that throughout the day. And then some of the heavy, awkward objects, the strength and the skill to lift those was what took a while. The weird soreness, in the, like when you're at, we call it leakage in the weight room, you can't have leakage when you're carrying a couch up a flight of stairs. You have to keep everything engaged. Otherwise, well, I mean, the couch will move, which will hit the wall, and, you know, or, and of course, could hurt you. But no one cares about you because they can't work more worry about the couch and the wall. I think you're on to something. That's why, if you read my work, it's my love affair with loading carries. It's just, it's being J&J Moving, which is the company my family owned, uh, or what we call here in Salt Lake, Dumb and Dumber Moving Company. Uh, we just, I got to tell you, helping somebody... So helping somebody move in or move out of a house, going up and down that uh, U-Haul, you know, that truck, throwing, loading stuff, loading stuff. Load. It is exhausting. And you're weirdly sore. And strangely, a couple weeks later, you throw the discus for them. That's what loaded carries are. It's the ultimate, in the business, we call it the WTF effect, the what the heck effect. It's where you did this drill and magically your performance improved. And don't try to figure out why. Uh, it's like, why does lifting weights make you throw farther? We've really never answered that. This is cutting edge work uh, research from when uh, that Stanford oh, shot putter, Otis Chandler, defied his coach and started lifting weights and broke the world record in 1947 or something like that. We can't, we truly, I mean, our little scientists listening, show me how I throw farther when I lift weights. Show me, show me the, is it mitochondria? I mean, I, we can make up things, but we really don't know. It's, you know, for example, I mean, when you diet, when you eat kimchi or sauerkraut, why does that, you know, do certain things to your body? I, you can write all you want. We're never really sure. Yeah. I'm yeah. not ripping on science. I'm just saying we don't know everything. Yeah, even I think when people talk about weights and transfer, you could say make a lot of cases for or against. You could say, oh, it trains the muscle, not the fascia, and it trains the you know this and X Y Z and the nervous system a different way, and the inner and inner muscle. You could get very complex for or against it, it you know, for whatever transfer you wanted. I, so I, I totally hear you. I, I I agree. I like what the loaded carries. Just not trying to analyze things too much sometimes because I I am problematic with that as a coach because that's like I want to be like oh look at me explain this stuff and I, I have to catch myself sometimes I'm like this athlete might be better off not knowing more as much as you want them to know about this movement right now I have to tell myself that all the time well and you know I remember one time I was talking to a Finnish athlete and I just read this massive thing for javelin throwers on all these medicine ball drills by the way and I think medicine ball drills we said fascia you know I think the medicine ball drills teach the body how to move better than most of the junk I do in the weight room. I said, boy, that's interesting. He goes, well, it's because the coach who wrote that article, all he had was medicine balls. He didn't have weights or anything else. And I'm like, that's exactly my life story. I have this phrase I use a lot called deprivation increases capacity. If you want to be a great throws coach, but you don't have a field to throw in, and you don't have any javelin shots or discs, what are you going to do? I still want you to be my throws coach. By not having anything, you'll be a better coach because you have to outthink. When I was coaching football at this one school, we didn't have, or we couldn't practice at the school. We had to take a bus ride. And when the when they rebuilt the school and put in a great practice facility, the, I, the football team tanked a bit. And, and one of the things I said, I go, in that bus ride, that's when I talked to my team. It was only 12, 15 minutes at the most. But I had two 15-minute times a day to talk to my entire team. Okay, the game is on Thursday. We're checking out at noon. 
We need you on the bus. And, you know, bring food if you want. Uh, here are our start. Here's our first six plays of the game. Here's what we're going to try. And then on the way back, I say, okay, here's the proper practice thing. We, it wasn't a bad thing. Not having a practice facility was a good thing. Deprivation increases capacity. And if you don't have a perfect facility, a perfect place, I mean, have you ever been to Jamaica? I have it. It's on the list, though. Well, you know, when you go to Jamaica, one of the first things you'll notice is that their training facilities are not the best in the world. Yet, I think the Jamaican sprinting team probably would do pretty well at the Utah State High School Championships, <laughs> uh, you know. And we have some of the best track and field facilities in the world. Everybody here is, you know, what do we call that? What do we call our tracks that were rubberized or whatever the phrase we use now? And every track meet has fully automatic timing so you can watch that sophomore girl run a 23 second 100 meters and the word run has air quotes sorry that was snarky yeah I, you go to these places i was told one time about i had a picture of a bulgarian weightlifter in one of my uh, newsletters and i got an email from a guy from bulgaria which is kind of cool and he said that you don't know about this guy i go okay obviously he, he had no place to live he lived in the gym because that's where he lived. He had no. He had no apartment, uh, really. And so you got this, you know, world record holder, right? He was you know, deprivation increases capacity. I, I love that. I was thinking it's one of those things where a lot of worlds can collide too. Like you could say the same thing with the body and food and fasting, and not you know, not ever giving yourself a chance to not intake calories or something like that. But biggest in my career. Go ahead. Oh yeah, sorry. Because I, I, um, my follow up actually was one of the best training years I had with the men's swim team at Cal was when the our weight room was there was something. Uh, oh yeah, it was the floor was like broken in the weight room because it wasn't built and strong enough to throw weights down. And I remember watching the throwers doing like three hundred plus pound jerks on jerk blocks one day. They're all standing next to each other, and every time the they threw the the bar down on the jerk blocks, the whole floor would just go whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I literally, their heads where I felt like were oscillating. It's just like these. You got these four people in a vicinity who all weigh about three hundred pounds or close to it, and a huge weight, and they're all going up and down. And it's just like I remember that like it was yesterday. And so, anyways, we were banished from doing Olympic lifts up in the nicer weight room, and we had to go to this dungeony like like it was like a hallway. And, yeah. and, but that was the best training that, cause, and it was a thing where actually, if you go down there, you're going to do all your big lifts there where you're going to squat and you're going to clean it first. And we're going to just figure out some different ways to play around with the cleans and the squats that we usually do. And that was some of the best training that we ever did. And ever since then too, I thought, man, like this would be a lot better if like they just took away half the weight room every year, just like, all right, you know, we go around the weight room, we just pick like, you know, 20 things. You can't use any of this. Uh, you can only use this, this, and this. <laughs> and how much better could it be, you know? I, I'm, my first year as a coach, when we went into the field house, Coach Mon wanted them to lift. Watch me, li watch him lift and help the throwers. All we had were a couple, one bar, 45s and 25s. We didn't have any 10s, 5s, 2 and a halfs, just 45s. Am I right? Or is it 30? doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. And so... I mean, you have a freshman lifting and a senior lifting. So we had, you know, the 135 snatches versus 205 snatches. And in between, and so we do a set of like six by three of the power snatch or something like that. And then go to, over to the nets and throw. Come back, they'd have to clean it. We do sets of five in the front squat. Go back in the nets and do a drill. I look back on that, and that's, I think, when I became a better coach. I tell you one thing when you don't have a ton of options in with the bar and you got a chance to throw that's that was the best coaching in my career but just like you said you know and it was cold in there oh my god oh it was cold <laughs> it, was, it was cold but you know those all those throwers became big time yeah, that's uh, that's like the train. I mean, there's a reason I think that archetype or mythology of Rocky. Just ever you watch that, and it's like, yeah. I, if you've been in that any type of you know deprived training situation, you know what that feels like. And so, I just yeah, I I, I wish I could have had a video of all those you know that that like uh, could have got some music going on. <laughs> I would love to see that uh, training you did back in the day. Well, you know, we get those uh, every so often on Facebook or Instagram. These guys will post these. European videos of these great facilities and these guys doing all this high-end stuff. And I always want to write on it. 
yeah, that guy there, he got beat by an American thrower who did clean squat, bench, and jump. That was the whole weight workout and through. You had a multi-billion dollar facility. This guy was training in a, in a basement. The guy in the basement won. And that happens a lot. Am I saying we need to get rid of top end? No, no. But I'll tell you one thing. You know, you come train with me at my gym, my actual, my home gym here. It's in my garage. In the summer, it's hot. In the winter, it's freezing. Um, and we learn more about training because of the lack of things uh, than than most people will with their perfect air conditioning. I mean, I got a great gym over here I could belong to. Uh, it's a it's a 24-7 gym. And, you know, I watch people go in there and they've got billion dollars worth of equipment and they spend half their time getting their playlist on their phone and then phone rolling. They don't, they don't train, you know, yeah, so- my gym, when it's today was minus one. Um, yeah, you don't, uh, you don't spend a lot of time on the ground phone rolling. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It'd be hard to be on your phone. If it's minus on your thumbs and be- <laughs> <laughs> and, and your battery runs out. So fast. Oh, yeah, that'd yeah. be a nightmare. <laughs> it, it is, but, yeah. Oh man. Uh, so with that, like the minimalism, um, I wanted to ask you about kettlebells too. Cause I mean, one of the questions I had had was like kettlebells with athletes, but I imagine did the throwing, cause I know you'd mixed kettlebells with throwing too. Like, like did that come kind of out of the same deal? Like I didn't have that many things to train with or just kind of playing with the implement and finding how it mixed up. The first time I brought the, the what I brought out first in the field, I bought this great pickup truck. God, I love that thing. I had to get rid of it. But I loved it. And I used to bring my, uh, uh, my barbell and some lighter plates, I think 25 uh, bumpers and 10s, because I was working with high school kids. And we brought it out so in between throws, you might go take 10 full turns, 10 snatches, uh, five half turns, uh, some power cleans, you know, that kind of thing. But later when I got it, my first kettlebell, which was a 28-kilo kettlebell, I brought it out with me to this plate throwing area. It's called T2. And I suddenly realized that this was perfect because I could keep it behind the seat of my car or actually strap it. You know, I, you put it in a safety belt, strap it in the back seat, you know, and I could carry that one thing out and do, and by the way, it's also, it, it's a little heavy. 28 K is a little heavy for throwing drills, but you certainly could do throwing drills with lighter kettlebells. You know, probably you wouldn't want to go more than well, 16 kilos would be, a, that's 35 pounds. And if you had a 10 or 12, you'd probably do some, you know, whip throws with the, you know, backwards throw, head throws, you know, side stuff just for fun. And don't, uh, I mean, I, I, I used to have that great uh, video and that article when the Easter, uh, pardon me, the German throwers came here and they had a kettlebell throwing decathlon. Uh, it's a it's an older, it's a javelin guy from back East had it. Um, but you, you put the, kettlebell on your foot you throw it for distance and the coach measured it really kettlebell on your foot for distance that sounds yeah, like so an old russian you, high jump drill or something you hook your foot inside the in, inside the handle and then you throw it yeah all it was just ridiculous it was, it was 12 different drills <laughs> to measure and i don't know if i'd go so far as to measure but just having fun playing catch with the kettlebell would be kind of fun you know um in fact uh, those guys who do kettlebell juggling they they kept literally throwing catch it back and forth uh, tell you one thing that will keep your focus focused. Cause when you have a 16 kilo thing made of iron coming out of your face, you better stay focused, you know? Yeah. You we know? talk, we talk about trying to keep athletes in the moment. That's a, that'd be a pretty good way to find a flow state, hopefully pretty quick <laughs> for better, for worse. They hopefully are ready for it. But I've, I've done that stuff. My friend, uh, Corey Schlesinger does that. He's was at Stanford. He's at Phoenix suns. Now he doesn't do it a lot with the, you know, kind of those high end guys. You probably don't want to be, you know, throwing throwing kettlebells at each other, but I he. Know Corey Schlesinger, don't I? I I mean, may, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I want to say we hung out at like, was he used to be at UC Santa Barbara? Maybe. Mm, I don't know. I don't know that he was there. Um, okay, but maybe it's a Stanford <laughs> connection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, you know, I get confused on names and stuff. You know, I get. Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah the key we did um, that when I, I did a podcast with him one of the first times I met him and I always like to do workouts with people before we actually sit down and talk. It's kind of like this. I don't. Know, I just feel like podcasts are better when you do share a workout first. And we did a lot of kettlebell juggling. We were doing it 
throwing it up and trying to do a 360 and catch it, which might have not been a good idea, but it was, it was, it was fun. I loved it. I had a blast. When I first learned kettlebells, that was part of the curriculum. Uh, we, I learned uh, all, all those. Uh, sadly, I don't do them as much as I used to. And it is a, a skill that diminishes without practice. Yeah. Uh, do the one when you throw it like this and it flips and you catch the handle. Then you flip it like this and it goes like a helicopter. So you got the somersaulter, you got the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Between the legs and all that. Oh, yeah. When I um I used to the warm ups I used to have my athletes do at Cal. Sometimes I eventually just got bored of saying you know do this many sets of this and this many sets of this. I I sure. at one point it's just like hey here's a kettlebell just play around with it for a minute and then you go to the next station and I would make people be creative. I said do something with it you haven't done before and so that I enjoyed just seeing what people would do and just trying to find just hey like this isn't your sport you're a swimmer you're something else but just. Do something different with this thing and, and find a new way you to use it. Figure eight between the legs. Like that, you know when the basketball players do that dribble oh, yeah. between them? They make figure eights. Weird thing about that figure eight is it takes about a second to teach. And yet people will stay in that position doing that. I don't know if it's because it's a beautiful movement, which, you know, what calisthenics basically means. Or is it just, it's, I think maybe the, anytime you do this with the hands, uh, because I, I, I'm sure it's neurological because, you know, all the all the nerves that run. I, I've watched people just deep dive into that. Like and they're like you said, they're in another place. You know, they're not they're not in the middle of the weight room at Cal. They're in a happy place somewhere, you know, um, you know, happy Gilmore place, you know. Uh, yeah, I like it takes you back to what you said about the hands and feet too. It just, we don't training the hands in an elastic way and just being able to do that kind of thing is it's yeah. valuable. Um, all right. So I did want to ask, I wanted to come back to this cause you said it and I wanted to ask this before we finished. And, um, it was, you were just talking about the art of relaxation. And I remember, I think you had written, it may have been an easy strength. I had forgotten, but the idea of like, if you, you, you did your throwing practice and maybe you did like you know, 20 throws and then set a cone that's easy and try to expend as l- the, the least effort possible to hit that cone. I love that. Could you just share a little bit more about that and kind of yeah, how you see, work that in? We used to call it the Soviet drill. And honestly, I don't know why it's also called range throwing, but what you do, uh, Boris Zaychuk, the first man to throw over 80 meters in the hammer became a Canadian coach. This was his big uh, drill, but uh, so you go in and you have a, and you can either do it for the day. So this is my PR for the day. It's my best throw. And it's, let's go, we'll make it big. Uh, or your personal record, 200 feet. Okay. So it's 200 feet. That's, so you put a cone or actually the best, as I discovered from John Powell, is a garbage can, a plastic garbage can. And it's only at 160. So it's 80% of my best. And I can't throw over it. And the nice what John did for me was, by aiming for the garbage can, trying to drop it in the garbage can. Sorry, my phone, someone's calling. Um, trying to drop it in the garbage can completely changes the way your brain works. What's weird is that, so it's 80%. The idea is this. It gets so easy. It is so easy to throw that uh, 160. And it is. 160 is so short that it, you have to rethink everything. But you're doing the full turn. And you're, you just feel like you're gliding in there. Well, okay. So finally you get, you get one to drop it. And then we set it to 165. And it's weird because all of a sudden, but what happened then is this. The idea is this. So here's your max. How am I to get my max? I, 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 I cleaned 400. How am I going to get to 405? Well, that's pretty hard. But, but if I try to make 320 feel easier if it feels lighter than it used to be this is the whole easy strength foundation by the way if it feels easier can't we imagine that our 100 went up i learned this from john powell instead of constantly chasing 100 trying to get the 101 percent gently nudge 80 percent up get underneath it just nudge it up and if you nudge your 80 percent up we can imagine, and it's very often true, that you're 100% went up. What's amazing about the Soviet drill is how hard it is for an elite athlete to 
re-engage those that 80%. But what's also fascinating is that three or four minutes into it, so here you got this normal sectors like this, you know, nice wide sector. Now you got a garbage can that's just basically a hole out there. And they completely changed their their thinking process so that they don't need a sector this one. They need a, literally a, a chalk line of a sector is all they need. And they're dropping the discus. I mean, it's weird to look at. So in my office here, you know, in 10 throws, if my desk here would be the garbage can, in 10 throws, every one of the throws lands inside my office. So instead of having, and then pretty soon you got, you got the ring, you got the garbage can out of 170, 180, and they're dropping it in that same office, laughing between throws. And what we're arguing is, is that we've just changed we change the mental relationship with the distance. Sometimes, if you can do it, and you gotta be careful, this has to be a micro dose thing, but play the drill, make up some kind of, if the first person to get in the garbage can gets something either really good, like uh, uh, I'll take y'all, if someone does it, I'll take everybody out for pizza, which, you know, throwers is always a win, or, you know, a milkshake or whatever the hell. And so they're all focused on trying to win the garbage can. And at the end, say, okay, let's just let them go. Okay, let's just see how far I can throw. There are times, if done right, you'll get a lifetime best out of that drill. Not every time. Uh, but uh, the, the Catholic high school uh, record in the United States is held, still held by one of my athletes. And basically, it was a garbage can drill kind of throw. Just wanted to get an opener in there. 214 night with the effort of a 170 throw that's it ever since i read that portion of the book the first thing i did was i remember high jump like if i at the, about the time i made him jump in you know i was get I, my jump wasn't great maybe six 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 eight and i would put the bar to five ten and just effortless just try to make it effortless unfortunately it's not a target so you don't get that dopamine hit that you hit the target but just trying to make it i'd spent my whole life almost like get as high over the bar as you can every throw get as by you know get as high as you can just what if we just change the context and it's almost like the same thing on some level i feel like when you get hurt it helps you to like train yourself in a new way because you have to engage with feeling and you've never done that before it's because you're kind of testing it out it's like oh is this okay is this okay is this okay and yeah throwing left hand it's the same idea it's the same movement same ring same sector radically different worldview I don't know if you, if this is a good idea or a bad idea. With, with the jumpers, the high jumpers and long jumpers, we had those nice solid boxes, the short low ones with the rubber on top. Oh yeah. And you put up you 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 have the person jump like in your case you went six six so maybe start at five six, but you're are you uh, did you come off your left foot off the ground or your right? Yeah, foot? left foot. Okay, so as you run up, we would have the box at where your left foot would be. And then you come up and you slam the box. Well, you're cheating, right? Because mm-hmm. you're coming off this much higher. So five, six was just a joke. In fact, yeah. it's, it's almost dangerous because you go you go so much farther. Like the pit might not be big enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. You really can get up off those things for sure. Yeah. And then you just – so it's the same idea. So, yes, you, but that's, that's one way to get yourself loaded down on the high jump. And by the way, it works on the long jump too. The only problem with the long jump is the box has to be uh, secured somehow, maybe with sandbags or something, because it, it will kind of tilt. It'll, it'll, it'll hit and tilt. So it has to have a little bit of something on it. it you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, if you're coming with that horizontal speed and it's got to be kind of... It kind of rocks up. You need something to kind of, doesn't have to be much, but that might be a way to high jump this drill, you know? Uh, and But here's the fun thing. And someone's going to say, well, that's not the way it's done to track me. I know because, but what I want you to do is I want you to go to that track meet with a skill set of maybe uh, 10 or 12 different ways to think differently. Uh, you have 10 other, I know what I mean. I don't know if I explain. 
Yeah, I, it's almost like mental strategies. I have this mental or yeah. mental uh, schema. It's almost like here's a here's a setting, <laughs> here's a setting, here's a setting. I, I think I know what you're saying. I mean, I want you to go to track meet, and if you hurt your left foot, know that you can still win jumping off your right foot because you've been practicing going off the other foot. Uh, my discus stores, guys, you could win this left-handed. I, and I'm not putting down the uh, uh, competition. I'm just saying you can win today left-handed, and I want you to, you know. Things happen. You've got an extra set of tools. I love this kind of thing because you, you've got to be able to give monkey brain something to keep it busy while you're trying to compete uh, and give it more, give it more strategies. Yeah. Without, without question. I, I remember I used to do back when I was coaching, I think it was like 27, 28. And I had this guy who just was learning javelin had just been learning it. And I had um, a lot of kind of drills that I felt like were similar to the way you use kettlebells with the throws and then did tons of range throws. And he was really getting ticked that I wouldn't let him um, throw further. And But he was up to get up to about 150 in the meet, so not bad for college first year. And then he just, I don't know, I figured if I just stopped coaching him as much, I didn't have, I couldn't like keep track of him because I had a million other athletes. He just started throwing as far as he could every time. Just And he was throwing like 120, 125. It was just, just interesting, like those, how that happens with them, especially the throws. Especially the throws, but that is so. What he was trying to do was, you know, uh, this this the idea you get from those movies, you know, or the high, you know, the those commercials, you know, where the black guy and the white guy high five each other because they drink a certain beverage that comes from the University of Florida. Uh, it's just you know we're going to run a bunch of hills and we're going to win the state championship, you know, and to win we're going to run more hills. Well, boy, if we run more hills. So you ran a lot of hills, but no one on the team can catch the football or knows how to tackle. So you, you're in better condition than us, but you lose. And I think that's – so when you strive to throw the javelin or hammer farther, uh, physics rewards you with the worst throw. Yeah. Yeah. Be- I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Physics and physiology. You lose the, sna- you lose the snap and you lose the – you know, the, you know where the implement should be. You know, you know you're trying to you're trying to gun it instead of flick it. You know, I've even done that with sprinting recently. Is that a guy named Sam Portland from the UK has a thing called Speedgate Golf, where he has the the, the fly like the the timing gate set up, and instead of going max, you go like. 10 20 percent less and you just try to do it with some like technical nuance in mind or or easy you know relax and he has so many guys doing a progression like that that ended up setting prs or older athletes who were coming close to their old best and so i started doing that with an athlete who and i would use it to trick athletes into pring on the session a lot of times so i'm like hey just run i'd throw out a time that was like five percent or ten percent easier and they would run like a pr or close to it you know and i would see that a lot and so i'd always try to use that to trick people even in even in running i don't say it probably happens often in running as as throwing but um it definitely was something that stuck with me and it was like way i coach on the spot in many cases if you have a good kettlebell swing you can tell the person hit it at half and then and then say 40 percent, and then say two-thirds and then say almost and change your so don't say 50 60 70 say half three quarters so that the brain goes, okay. And what's weird is they're really doing kettlebell swings right. You can't see any difference. But the person swinging would be like, that was the one. Huh. Oh, yeah. Because the perception by the athlete is often really wrong. They're probably swinging every one of them about the same. But if you give them monkey brain something to spit you know play with yeah yeah half versus 70 percent so on swing number one half swing number two give me seven you know give me a max effort go 30 percent. go one third monkey brain jumps in and it's trying to do all this work <laughs> and the hips and the, the, the hips are going boom you know and the, the elbow's catching it and the lats are throwing it back down so no i think there's some wisdom in that drill a lot of wisdom try Try also, tell them nine-tenths. Try nine-tenths and try try to come up with a, a word like, a, you know, a technical term with near max speed or something like that. You know, high knee lift with near max speed. I don't know what near max is. I just made it up. <laughs> but 
to watch them do it, it will be interesting because it's taken, it's getting monkey brain out of the formula. Yeah, I was just reading, um, I read the Mark Manson uh, sends out Monday newsletters and he wrote a bit about perception, how like if we, they had like Coke was drank in a white can and they, they're terrible because the perception of the, it's like, oh, what is this? They expect it to be something different. But if you drink coffee out of a white cup, you perceive it to be more flavorful. And so I was just thinking, how do I set up uh, co- yeah, the perception in coaching? And I love that. And you could even, I mean, I would even have a color chart. Uh, even one more as the athletes getting close flash. I don't know. Green is top speed. Yellow is medium. Don't have red. Uh, <laughs> some variation of yeah. color between them and just flash an orange sign hmm. and they have to go. Yeah. So well, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So I know we've gone uh, a long time, Dan on these. And so uh, I'll let you go here, but I've, I've, I've had a lot of fun talking to you. I appreciate all your insight and wisdom and it's just great to catch up on these topics. I, 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 I'm a, I probably hit your site. I mean, I get your newsletter and I hit your site all the time. Like I said, I've talked to your Jav lab guy a lot. He's, he's, he's a keeper. That's some good stuff there. Uh, right? Have I got I got the right site? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Javelin. Uh, yeah, no, Jake Clark set it up, and Kevin Foster's done some work there. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. a great project. Uh, your site is, is is great to read. I'm a big fan. Um, yeah, any any time I can be a service for you guys, let me know because you guys are doing good work. Well, thank you so much, Dan. And I'm excited for the new uh, Easy Strength to come out, so I can finally get a print copy. And uh, I appreciate it again. Here's what we'll do. We'll. Uh, just for you, I'll make sure you get a signed print copy, okay? Oh, that would be awesome. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in for another show. We appreciate you guys being here with us. And if you enjoyed the show, you can help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. We will see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.